Welcome everyone to this podcast prepared by the Big Ride for Palestine Australia. My name is Ian Kerr and I have been participating in the Big Ride for five years now. We aim to support the Palestinian people in their struggle by raising awareness through riding, walking and running in places where we live. Through this enjoyable exercise permitted under COVID restrictions, we hope to build solidarity and friendship. Over the past five years, we have raised over $77,000 for important projects in Palestine, a school in Hebron, the Mann Centre in Gaza promoting sustainable agriculture. This year, we are raising money for the Palestinian Women's Humanitarian Organisation, which is in vital need during the COVID-19 pandemic and because of the current economic and political crisis in Lebanon, where the refugee camps are. We are asking people to join with us to register their ride, walk or run at the link down below and gain sponsors. We are in partnership with AFIDA, Union Aid Abroad, and I have with me a representative of that organisation. Could you please introduce yourself? My name is Ken Davis and I'm International Programs Manager at Union Aid Abroad AFIDA for quite a long while. And uh, our association with the uh, Camps in Lebanon goes back to the foundation of our organisation in 1984. And the first project was training in Australia the Palestinian nurses um, from the camps. Um, and then since then, we've always had projects in, uh, in Bujabrajni camp and Shatila camp in uh, Beirut. And uh, in the early 90s, um, Dr. Olfat Mahmoud and the other women from the camp established their own organisation. So they didn't want to be just recipients of uh, charity. They wanted to organise themselves to identify what they needed to do um, for women in the refugee communities. Um, and so they established the Women's Humanitarian Organisation and uh, in the last, uh, you know, decade or so, our projects with them have centred around women's rights projects, women's health, but uh, crucially early childhood education because the children going into the uh, United Nations Relief and Works schools, like children going into the Lebanon schools, um, they need to be able to read and write in English and Arabic before they start school and have basic numeracy. So it's crucial for the children to have early childhood education. Um, and also that enables the women to gain work or to study. So the women have limited, like refugees in Lebanon, the women have very limited employment options. But, you know, you could be a teacher in the schools or UNRWA schools or you know, a health worker or working in the, the Palestinian services, or maybe you can do casual work in the, you know, in Lebanese homes or, or whatever. But if the children are safe in a, you know, a good educational environment, that enables the women to become economically a bit independent. And so there's also training for not training, but education for children with disabilities. 
and also children that are experiencing difficulty in learning. And of course, the children are very traumatized uh, in general because of the refugee situation. But, you know, since August uh, 2019, the political and economic crisis in Lebanon has weighed heavily on the refugee camps. And then there was the explosion at the port a year ago. And, uh, you know, so electricity, water, food, uh, jobs are very short. And uh, the situation for the refugee children is very traumatic. So to deal with, uh, what do you say, psychosocial problems and the learning difficulties, there's also at Shatila and Buja Barajni classes for the children that are in school like coaching classes, you know, for people that are experiencing difficulty. So a whole range of services, but run by this uh, self-organisation of the refugee women. You sent me a number of photos from Borj El Barajni refugee camp in Beirut, and they were quite distressing to see the state of the camp with electrical wires everywhere and dangerous play areas for children. There was one photo that shows two women conducting a class for disabled children under very difficult circumstances. Um, are we able to help those people? What can the Big Right for Palestine and Union Aid Abroad do to help those women? Uh, I think the you, you, you've got to understand the the situation of the camps, you know, originally they were in South Beirut and, you know, after the Nakba in, you know, in 1948, people were in tents, literally in tents. But, you know, that's a long while ago. The grandparents that are still alive can remember it. But now Bujal Barajna camp has about 40,000 people, but it's about 300 metres by 250 metres. So people are in badly constructed um, cement or brick uh, buildings, uh, three and four storeys high, um, but the alleyways are extremely narrow. And so there's no places, there's no big places in the camp. Um, there's a little cemetery and there's, uh, you know, areas for prayer, but there's no... There's no roads or um, yards for children to play. So finding space for the children, you know, for early childhood education or um, space where um, children with disabilities can access is extremely difficult. Um, a lot of people don't go out of the camp because the social environment uh, is not very uh, comfortable for the refugees outside the camp, particularly women. Um, I mean, people can go a short distance to shop, but uh, what I mean is a lot of the children don't leave the camp and there's no open spaces in the camp. So um, the situation is very difficult. The children leave the camp uh, when they go to school to go to the United Nations Relief and Work School, but not very far. Um, so it's been a struggle for facilities, for um, the children, for the children with disabilities, for the people living at home with disabilities. Um, 
it's uh, you know the, there's a terrible need for resources, um, and and certainly there's support from Australia and other countries, but the the situation in Lebanon is deteriorating in general for everybody, but that makes it worse for the refugees from Lebanon, from Palestine, and from Syria. And the ultimate problem is these people are long-term refugees. Like there's no, there's no real solution unless, you know, they can return to their, uh, you know, to the villages that they came from. Uh, and in the camp, uh, different parts of the camp are associated with different villages. So down one small alleyway will be the community from a particular village in, in what's now 1948 Israel. Uh, and down another alley, a, a different community. Um, so people's social organisation is still based on, you know, where they came from, the villages, and, you know, they can go to the border and look and see their villages. Um, so this situation of being permanently refugees, excluded from politics and jobs and uh, everything and social services and schooling, in the Lebanese uh, society, uh, that's the ultimate problem. And um, people may say there's no obvious solution for Lebanon now, but you know, for since 1948, uh, there's no good solution for the refugees except the right of return. You mentioned in the answer to an earlier question the huge explosion that occurred in Beirut, and that must have had an impact on the camp itself. Coming forward to the present day, I'm wondering if Union Aid Abroad is in daily contact with uh, Al-Fat Mahmoud, who's running the Palestinian Women's Humanitarian Organization. And one thing that occurred to me last night, I was listening to an overseas podcast and it was, you know, you've outlined the crisis that's in Lebanon there, but I actually heard them say that Lebanon has run out of fuel and the power stations don't provide very much power or electricity. So people tend to run their own generators and without fuel, they can't actually even do that. So they can't pump water, they can't have lighting and, and do things like that. One proposal that has been put into train was Hezbollah has managed to get tankers of oil from Iran, which they are going to, are getting the tankers to go to Syria, and then they're going to truck the uh, the fuel to Baalbek in Lebanon, and then attempt to distribute the fuel. And their slogan is, not for profit, not for trade, because the black market has been trading the fuel elsewhere to, because it, the fuel had been subsidized previously by the government. So amidst all of this corruption and chaos, you've got one group which itself is under US sanction and also under heavy sanction from Israel, you know, the threat of military intervention is there all the time. Is there anything that Union Aid Abroad can, can keep a handle on that to inform people in Australia about what is happening on a day-to-day -day basis? How do we find out? The overall situation in Lebanon is, is very complex and... Um... You know, it's, it's, it's not for a feeder to have opinions about, you know, Lebanese politics, 
but just to um, to talk a bit about the the what might be politely called constraints for Lebanon, but the situation of the refugees is worse. So the refugee camps technically can't have phone lines, can't have legal electricity connections, and are not attached to mains water. So the camps have wells, but the urban situation they're in is, um, is not good. So drawing your water from the well is not good. So um, there's illegal electricity connections. And as you can see, if you go to the camps, you know, they're very tightly knit, but the electricity lines are hanging down in the very narrow alleyways. So particularly during storms, um, it's easy for people to make connection with the electricity wires and uh, get electrocuted. So a 14-year-old boy was electrocuted just recently outside the entrance to the Early Childhood Education Centre. And it's true that people need to buy water and, um, you know, they need to rely on generators. The, so the Firstly, the loss of foreign currency in late 2019 meant that, that Lebanon couldn't import food, but crucially couldn't import fuel. And I think it's maybe the Jews that run the, a lot of the petrol stations. Uh, now the price of fuel I last heard was around 6 or $7 American uh, per litre, uh, but it's just not very available. So that constrains internal transport, which affects food and food prices, but it, uh, it's affecting the, the main electricity generators for, for power for the whole country. And that indirectly, you know, is much worse for the refugee camps. So there's not much electricity and therefore, you know, an ordinary, uh, I don't know what you want to say, uh, comfortable Lebanese household might have a fuel generator. But the problem with that is that the fuel is extremely hard to get, both for the generators and for the mains supply. Um, so people, if they can, you know, might have solar or batteries or something like that. But because the electricity is in short supply, the water uh, system uh, can't always pump. So for Lebanese, you've got a, a, a three problems. One is no fuel for transport. One is no electricity and one is, you know, inadequate water. That's much worse in the refugee communities because they're not officially able to connect to any of those systems. Um, so that's the big constraint. Um, so, yeah, if uh, and because the port explosion and also, it's a triple crisis. It's the financial, social and political crisis in Lebanon from 2019, the port explosion from a year ago, but also COVID, which is, you know, terrible in Lebanon. So there's three crises. And for the refugees from Syria and for the refugees from Lebanon who are excluded from the main part of Lebanese society and economy, um, you know, the situation's much worse. Um, so, yes, they're reliant on import of food and everything across the border from Syria, but, of course, the situation in Syria is not, is not good. So, uh, 
I don't know how to emphasise. I mean, I think there's so many people from Palestinian or Lebanese background in Australia. A lot of people are aware of the current situation in Lebanon and, the, you know, through their families. Um, and also a lot of people are aware of the worst situation of the refugees from Syria and Palestine. But um, it's, 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 it's not like um, there's any clear solution, I think, because most of the governments that are interested in the future of Lebanon don't have the interests of Lebanon or the Palestinian refugees at heart. Thank you, um, Ken, for that. Is there anything else you'd like to add? It's, it's always important to get resources to people that are permanently uh, trapped in a resourceless situation. Um, so part of the original purpose of establishing our organisation was, was around refugees. Um, you know, refugee, Palestinian refugees. Uh, at the time in the 80s, the, the refugees from apartheid in, um, in Southern Africa, um, the refugees from the American war in Indochina, um, and 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 you know more and then Timorese refugees and uh, the refugees on the Thai Burma border. Um, so resourcing is always important, but I think beyond money, the refugees in Lebanon want solidarity and recognition because they feel that they're forgotten by the world, that the quote, international community is cutting funding for United Nations Relief and Works. Um, you know, the agency established after the NACBAR in 1949. Um, and that the, the leadership in Ramallah doesn't represent the interests of the refugees, that the situation of the refugees is not usually included in any uh, dialogues about peace. Um, so... For them to know that there are people on the other side of the world that are interested in an ongoing way in the fate of the refugees is very important. Uh, thank you, Ken. For those that wish to participate in the Big Ride for Palestine, we encourage you to form teams. These can be registered on the Big Ride site. And because of COVID-19, we encourage people to follow the rules in their local areas. Uh, you can go to the site and obtain a cycling jersey or a T-shirt. Your participation by wearing these shirts will help make people more aware of the struggle of the Palestinian people.